The hell are you supposed to be? This has been a lot of fun. This has been a lot of fun. Even if you listen to a little chunk of this. Chunk of this. So thank you guys. Thank you guys. Best Batman, Best Batman of all time. In my opinion. I wrote a letter to myself. It was approximately four days ago. And, uh... The interesting thing about this letter is that I, uh, it's basically written to myself on my blog about my expectations for the Batman. What do I expect? You know, what is it, what is it that I'm wanting out of this movie that I've been waiting and waiting and waiting for, you know, like this movie meant so much to me and you know, I saw it twice. Uh, I saw it on Thursday night. Today is Saturday, March, whatever it is, 5th, I guess. Saturday, March 5th. I saw it on the 3rd at an 8 PM showing with my two good buds, Zane Tomich and Austin McNary. And then I saw it again yesterday with my girlfriend, Randy. Both viewings, um, you know, we'll get to that later in this episode. But this episode today is going to be interesting for me and hopefully for you, the listener, as well. For the simple fact that I'm going to read this letter that I wrote to myself. I don't fully remember uh, what I wrote to myself, but, uh, you know, I wrote it in a state of mind where the Batman was about a week of a week away and I wrote it for myself as like sort of this memoir or or what what have you you know what what was the what was the industry like what was the comic book movie genre like before you saw the Batman and describe that and then I have some questions for you, is essentially the outline of this letter. I have some questions like, we'll get to those questions that I asked myself. And today, you know, after two viewings, I feel like I'm prepared and now qualified to answer those questions that I had before. Uh, so I wanted to do this episode. This episode is going to come out... Um, I think we're going to do March 10th, uh, Thursday, March 10th, but, uh, that's still undecided because I don't know if that's enough time. I talked to, so Austin's brother, Connor McNary reached out to me on Instagram and, you know, shout out to you, Connor. Thanks for listening, bud. That's, that's awesome. And, uh, you know, Connor always sends me stuff and he always, you know, he's always been a fan and he's always listened and, you know, stayed on board and I, I, I love that. So thanks a lot, man. I appreciate the support and uh, I hope you enjoy your viewing. What I was getting to is that Connor's seeing it on Tuesday, I think he said. So he's going to have enough time 
before the podcast episode comes out. And like, I think for my podcast, like the true people who are listening consistently, I think they will have seen the Batman by next Thursday. Um, you know, it would take a hell of a circumstance uh, to, you know, stop people from going to see this movie this weekend, I think, you know. So anyways, let's get into this letter. And I'm just going to read it straight up because, um, yeah, I'm really intrigued by this myself. So it's called The Batman, A Love Letter to Myself. And I say, Dearest future comic book movie guy, I hope this letter finds you well. This is your past self writing you on a doom and gloomy Sunday, February 27th, 2022. So yeah, it was like, you know, a week before the movie released. And I was, you know, the juices were flowing, guys. Like, I was ready. I write you today as nothing more than a memory. A memory of yourself as a fan of the comic book movie genre that you knew to exist today. In today's world, you will have seen only snippets from the film displaying what you hope to experience from Matt Reeves' much-anticipated film, The Batman. You have just received news that Matt's film was recently awarded a stamp of originality. This is given out to filmmakers in the industry who create a work of cinema that the organization deems to be moving the movie industry forward and is ultimately a fan, uh, film that breaks new boundaries. As you can probably imagine, you are very excited by this. You're sitting in your newly completed office space, listening to The Batman, original motion picture score by Michael Giacchino on Apple Music. The score is phenomenal. It reminds you of Batman, the animated series, with just a sprinkle of Tim Burton's score from his 1989 blockbuster film. And I, I, uh, I wanted to say too that that, so that score, like the main Batman theme is just, it's gorgeous, right? Like it's a beautiful, beautiful theme. And when I was listening to it, those were the tones that I had. If you've ever watched the intro to Batman, the animated series from the nineties, it's there's, there's tones of that in there. And then also Tim Burton's first Batman movie, 1989 there with Michael Keaton. It was, there wasn't much of Danny Elfman's score there that I recognized. Um, but I like there were tones of the bells. It was the bells that Burton used for me. And those are in this movie. And I loved that Matt Reeves put that in there. This score for the Batman will remind you of two of your favorite Batman scores of all time while you watch the film. Did Matt Reeves make this movie just for you? That is a good question. I, I truly believe Matt Reeves did make this movie for me because I'm part of that fan base that he talks uh, so, so graciously um, about. And I love Matt Reeves. He's such, a, such an awesome, awesome guy. And I could just listen to him talk about Batman lore for hours. He's fascinating. If you ever have time and you're like curious about Matt Reeves or about the director of the Batman or if that's like, you know, something that you're interested in and you want to see that other side of it, I would recommend looking up, you know, Matt Reeves interviews for the Batman and just, or watch the fandom, uh, in 2020 when he showed up with that teaser trailer, that you know, oh so famous teaser trailer now because it's, you know, one of the best trailers of all time in my opinion. Um, at the time, 
he did about a 20 minute segment on that panel and he talked to the host about what we can expect from this version of the character. And it's probably the best 20 minutes of a guy talking about Batman content you'll ever watch. So I highly recommend that. There are a few burning questions that I must ask you to answer the night after you've seen this movie. Now, I was originally, like, I saw it at 8 p.m. on Thursday with my friends. And then after the movie, I got home at, like, midnight. And I was like, okay, like, I'm still fired up. Right? Like, like, I was up for another three hours after the movie, right? Because you're not going <laughs> to, like, it's hard to go to sleep after a Batman movie of that caliber, right? So, yeah. <laughs> I... When I got home, I just didn't feel like doing the episode. And I also thought to myself, I think I need another viewing in there. I think I need to go and see this one more time before I can actually answer these questions properly. Because it is a little bit overwhelming on that first watch. There's a lot there. Like it's a three-hour movie and it's a it's a slow burn detective story. So they're like, and that's what I love about it is that you could watch this movie like a hundred times and find something new or, you know, find some new dialogue that you like or find a shot that you like. Every single shot in the Batman is beautiful. But anyways, let's get into these questions. Oh God. I, I said to myself before I started this, I'm like, dude, make it to the 10 minute mark before you start going off on a tangent. And here I am. It's nine minutes and 54 seconds is what I have it clocked at. Didn't quite make her, Bram. In your opinion, was this movie flawed in any way based on what your expectations were? God, this is such a good question. I love this question from me. Good question, me. It was flawed. It was. And I'll tell you why. It's, it's long and it's not going to tailor to all audiences. Does that make it a flaw? That's a good question too. I mean, from a, from a fan, from a fan standpoint, the movie is flawless for me. But as a general moviegoer, like I saw it with my girlfriend last night, and she liked it. She enjoyed it very much. But it did drag in parts for her. And that's fair. Because even my first viewing when I watched it, I was like, wow. Like, they really took the slow burn detective noir approach. And, you know, to some people who go to a Batman movie expecting... You know, and they advertise this thing as quite the action film. And really, I would argue that it's not. You know, it's a narrative-based Batman story uh, told from Batman's perspective. You know, told from Bruce Wayne's perspective, who is not doing so good mentally. So it's, uh, it's grim, it's gritty, it is flawed in the sense that The Dark Knight does tailor to all audiences. And I'll get into that at the very end of this episode. Um, and I'll explain 
what I want to explain about the debate over the Dark Knight versus the Batman. And I knew this was coming, right? Which one is better? Which is the ultimate Batman movie? And I'll answer that question for you guys at the end of this episode. The next question is, did Robert Pattinson deliver the definitive Batman performance? Yes. Straight up. Best Batman I've ever seen on screen. Favorite Batman I've ever seen on screen. Best live action Batman, in my opinion, for the mannerisms, the eyes, the movements. He was, there was not, it was such a detailed performance. That's what I loved. And I would rewatch that movie every single time just to watch the scenes of Robert Pattinson in the bat suit. And I know that a lot of fans in the past with these movies that come out with Batman will watch only scenes with Batman in it after they've seen it, you know, the first or second viewing or, you know, you're just, I'm talking about, you know, months down the line when you're re-watching it, you know? I have 80 to 90% of this film of Robert Pattinson in the Batsuit being Detective Batman, doing cool Batman shit, and just being, you know, like you can tell he's just in love with the character. And the duality between Bruce Wayne and Batman in this movie is outstanding. He's so different in the way he walks, in the way he moves. The walk is different. His, you know, the way he swings his shoulders is different. You know, his Bruce walk is almost a little bit reckless. He looks frail. He looks sick. At times, you know, he's afraid of the sun. Like he comes out and puts those sunglasses on at one time. Yeah, he was the best. He was the very, very best. And I thank him for being a true fan of Batman and for putting out content like this for me to celebrate right here on this podcast. So thank you, Robert Pattinson, for delivering what I consider the definitive Batman performance. Did this movie meet, exceed, or dissatisfy your expectations? It met my expectations and it exceeded my expectations. Did Robert Pattinson deliver? Oh, so I missed that one question. Sorry, guys. Were the villains strong enough? Who will the next villains be? Oh, I was so excited when I typed this question. I was stoked when I typed this question. It was awesome. So, first of all, the villains were very strong. Paul Dano's Riddler was phenomenal. I thought he did a great job. I thought he was um, very different with the mask on versus the mask off. I thought his riddles were outstanding. Great writing. Um, you know, he was, he was charming in a way. He was scary. He's a realistic, like that's such a, the whole idea of what the Riddler did is actually such a realistic thing. Like that could totally happen. I loved like, and that's from zero year. If you guys didn't know, like the whole flood that happens at the end of the Batman 
where the explosions go off and the water comes pooling in and you know ultimately the end of the movie Gotham is underwater they're waiting on the on the martial or martial laws in effect at that point um but uh no that's exactly what happens in zero years Riddler you know uh constructs this plan to like completely flood Gotham and then it ends up like going to ruin over the years and it's about how Batman comes back later um and you know he's going through what is sort of a post-apocalyptic Gotham in a sense so they they drew some inspiration from the comic there with that plot line and I liked that a lot uh let's move on to Zoe Kravitz Zoe Kravitz was great she's not a villain in this She's more of um, a love interest. A love interest in... Oh, here we are. 17 minute mark. The girls made it 17 minutes. These are my dogs. They're, uh, they're uh, you know, they're, they're featured on every single podcast episode. So, you know, I'm just, I'm welcoming it every single time. I'm going to just pretend like, you know, it's not going on in the background. And, you know, if it's annoying to you guys, I, I apologize. Let me know. But at the very least, you know, these dogs are keeping themselves occupied. So I can't complain. Colin Farrell was, uh, sorry, I'm on, I'm on Zoe Kravitz still. She was great. She was beautiful. You know, she's gorgeous, right? And the style that they went for that year one look with the pixie cut and the, uh, you know, I loved her uh, piercings in her ear. Love the the makeup, the the claws. Uh, you know, she had these really long nails that were grown out, obviously, or they were gel nails or something, right? And shaven, or she had shaven them into claws, essentially, is what it looked like. Um, uh, the suit really worked for me. You know, I liked the little ba- the little uh, Catwoman beanie. I thought it was cute, and she rocked it. You know, there's that scene where she's on the roof and she's got Kenzie or Kenzie or whatever his name is, that cop who was corrupt and he's like sitting on his knees and she's got the gun pointed to his head and like Batman's trying to talk her down with Gordon there. That's a powerful scene for her. And I thought, you know, considering she was just wearing a ski mask, she made that thing work. Like that was awesome. Uh, really powerful scene. You know, she's crying because she can hear her friend Annika getting strangled on the other end of the phone. Like it was a phone recording of uh, John Turturro's, Carmine Falcone uh, strangling Annika, her roommate or good friend or something like that. That's basically her her narrative uh, of the movie or her uh, her kind of what do you call that? Her journey that she's on is essentially she's she's doing little cat burglaries, trying to take money back from Falcone. As we find out, he's actually her father at one point in the movie we find that out so she was strong she was really strong and Colin Farrell uh I wanted to talk about him too uh he was the MVP of the movie for me I like I thought you know prosthetics are one thing and everybody's going to talk about the makeup crew which is fair it was phenomenal right like really well done with the makeup uh but what I liked was the performance I thought he rocked rocked it like just hit it knocked it out of the park almost said hit it out of the park that's not the same i love the score for everyone 
the villains were strong. Those three were very, very strong. Falcone, uh, so John Turturro was very good for me. I, I enjoyed him a lot, but I can see like a lot of people maybe not liking that performance. It's like, it's a safe performance, right? Like he's a mob boss, so he kind of, he leaned back and he talked like this the whole time, you know? Like, I thought it was good for John Turturro, but, you know, at the same time, he... It gets annoying after a while. It's not believable. Anyways. Yeah, and the other thing about Falcone, this is a little plot hole that uh, um, that I found annoying on the second, second watch, and maybe it's just me, but Catwoman scratches him uh, at the end, and or near the end, when he's about to die, because Falcone dies in this. He gets shot by the Riddler, and... Uh, as, as this is happening, he's sitting there and I'm, I'm noticing that he's had those cat scratches on his cheek the whole movie. Like they had the scars from the cat scratches. I don't know if that was intentional or what that was, but like they were already there. And then she did it at the end. So it didn't really make sense. But anyways, that was just a minor thing. But I would say out of all the villains, Falcone was the, the weakest. Um, but he's also not, um, you know, he wasn't bad at all <laughs> by any means. Let's move on to my, my next question here. Who will the next villains be? Well, we know the Joker is, was teased in this. Barry Cogan... Uh, he was in Eternals and uh, Killing of the Sacred Deer. Very talented actor, very interesting actor. Um, and, you know, we don't see him, but we see, like, his silhouette, kind of. And he looks really cool. He looks kind of scarred and stuff. And, uh, you know, Matt Reeves came out and said, actually, in an interview yesterday, that his version of Joker, he he's not saying, like, you know, next villain villain in the next movie is x it's you know like he's not saying the joker's going to be the main villain he's just saying hey listen like my batman robert pattinson has interacted with his version of the joker barry cogan and batman put him away and he exists in this world and then after in this interview matt said that this is a very very early version of the character he has a disease where he can't stop smiling. So that's really interesting to me. You know, he's got this like problem, like it's an actual condition where he can't stop smiling. So in a way, it's a similar idea to Todd Phillips' Joker, uh, where Joaquin Phoenix was uncontrollably laughing, like it was an impulse laugh. It was almost hurting him to laugh so much. Um, I really liked that idea. I thought it was... It's very interesting, right? And that's that's truly how I feel that character should be done. But it would be really interesting to see if Matt Reeves does an acid wash on him over the course of the movies or the shows. He also said that there's an Arkham series potentially coming to HBO Max. with, And he, he said in his trilogy he wants to do the entire rogues gallery or as many as he can do. He said things like he wants to do Hush, he wants to do Mr. Freeze, he wants to do Poison Ivy, you know, 
probably a Harley Quinn in there. You know, judging by what I saw from the teased scene, just the dialogue from Barry Cogan, I think his Joker would pair very, very well with a Harley Quinn of some sort. Just saying. The other thing I want to say, this isn't a, a villain for the future, but there's, there's a little boy that we see throughout the course of this film. It's the mayor's son. And at the very, very beginning of the movie, the opening shot, you know, it says the Batman. And then we see the Riddler spying on the mayor's house. And in that house, there's this little boy in a ninja suit. What color is the ninja suit? Well, normally you would think a ninja suit would be black, correct? Well, on my second viewing, I noticed that the ninja suit is red. It's, and it's not just any red. It's Robin color red. And not only that, at the crime scene after the Riddler kills the mayor, we see Batman investigating, helping Gordon, you know, taking some heat from the GCPD. I love that dynamic. And, uh, yeah, he's, I think for me, Gordon and Batman, when they're, uh, when they're doing what they're doing together and they're investigating, they are phenomenal. Like, and, and in that scene, when Gordon's trying to pull him out of the crime scene, this is really early in the movie, Batman stares at that little boy. And it's like, it's not just a shot of the little boy. They really make sure they show you, Matt really made sure he showed you the boy. Multiple times we see him again at the funeral. Robert Pattinson is staring at him. You know, there's this long scene where they stare at each other and then ultimately Robert saves him, like Bruce saves him uh, from the dead on arrival car that Gil Coulson is in with the neck bomb. I think that's Robin, guys. I truly believe that. Because even Robert Pattinson has said something that he wants to do in the future. You know, he said multiple things, like Court of Owls he wants to do, which would be an awesome movie and would work in Matt Reeves' universe. But he said Robin. And not to me. And he said he wants like a 13-year-old Robin, too. Robert said that. He's quoted saying that. How awesome would that be if we got, if we finally got, you know, a really badass on-screen Robin, a 13 or 14-year-old Robin, the way it should be, you know, the way it was in the animated series. Holy, that would be sweet. That's what I'm looking forward to. And it would be very, very easy to do Mr. Freeze after a flood like that. You know, Gotham City's underwater. Mr. Freeze comes around. You know, the Easter eggs in this movie for certain villains too. Um, you know, there's quite a few, I think. But the one, I think one that really stood out to me is the adrenaline ad injection at the end that Batman does. On my second viewing, I noticed that the fluid looks very similar. Like sort of that neon green, yellow color fluid that goes into Bane and you know the way that Bruce or Batman I should say acts in that moment is very similar to Bane in 
any move or any video game movie comic, you know, like it's, it's rage and it's, it's unbearable. It's almost like the venom is getting to him in a sense, you know, like that's, I think potentially we could see Bane in the future as well. Are you excited for the future HBO Max shows like GCPD, Penguin spinoff, Catwoman spinoff, things like that? Yes, I am. I enjoyed every single character in this movie. I thought the acting was phenomenal for everyone. And to be honest, I thought Matt Reeves did a good job of making everyone interesting. I cared about every character in this, to some degree. You know, even the, even just the GCPD cops, like, that's an interesting story. Give me that. You know, like how they have the, the Maroney, uh, the whole Maroney case and stuff. And then, yeah, just with, uh, with Penguin running things, you know, as soon as Carmine was arrested in the Batman, Oz comes out and he starts, you know, talking smack to Carmine, like he's going to take over. And I love that. That's setting up that HBO Max show to maybe show penguins rise to the top of gotham because that's what he is when we know him or when we see him right so the best part about all these villains is matt's going to try and establish them early that they're in the world and that they exist but we're going to grow with them so like none of these are finished products in my opinion even batman not even close to finished product like it's going to evolve over the next two movies right and you know i think this movie if anything, would be the one that would struggle, which is interesting to say, in the new, like in a reboot like this, the first movie would be the one that would struggle, I think. But that's just me. So if we make it through this and everybody loves this, you know, sky's the limit for Matt Reeves and his crew and his team, I should say, because they're... They're on to something here. All right. So I say here, what am I your past self expecting from this movie? Let's get into it. And I say there are four major things that are must-haves in this film. I'm going to list them now for you. <laughs> this is so stupid. I'm like, I'm going to list them now for you, future me. And then we will see if my hopes and dreams of this film are met or even better yet exceeded. So as you know, I said that it did exceed my expectations. So here we go. Number one, noir-driven thriller. I want this film to creep the hell out of me. Well, it did that at some points. I mean, the first, the first scene with Riddler is pretty chilling. Like, it's awesome the way he shows up in that room behind the mayor. Like, you ex they set it up so that he's going to come through the, the roof. Like, he looks like he's going to come through the roof. And then all of a sudden, he's, like, behind the mayor. And just the way that Matt was able to, like show that with the lighting and stuff, the way the TV, you know, shows Riddler at times, and then it goes back to the dark corner that he's in. I thought that was awesome. I want it to chill me to my core, to surprise me, to bring me to tears, to keep me engaged. Interesting. Wanting more, to have me cheering and jumping out of my seat, rooting for bats by the end. Well, a few of those I can definitely confirm. Uh, I had some chilling moments for sure. 
Absolutely, I was chilled. You know, I, you get that chill down your spine when something's so awesome or so cool. I definitely had a few moments of those. I got the goosebumps, as they say. To surprise me. It's very hard for this movie to surprise me, right? Because I did my research. I studied this movie for a long time before it came out because I was so excited about it. It did surprise me, you know? I heard rumors that Joker might be in it, but, like, I didn't really pay attention to them because it's, like, I I wanted to... Like, I knew Matt Reeves is going to eventually touch on every single villain. So, like, whatever he wants to do, I'm I'm just there for the ride, man. I'm there to see it. And, you know, he surprised me with that scene with Barry Cogan. I thought it was great. I thought Barry did a great job. I love the laugh. I think it's different and unique um, in a way that fits in this universe. So I'm excited to see that version of the character at some point and maybe see how that evolves. You know, I spoke to Zane the other day. I don't remember what that was about. Like, we weren't on a podcast or anything. We were just hanging out. And I said, or no, maybe it was on the podcast. And I said, um... What if we got a Killing Joke movie in, you know, a Joker sequel or something? Because he mentioned that Todd Phillips was interested in having a version of Batman up against his Joaquin Phoenix's Joker. I think that, uh, I think that there's potential to do some form of that story with uh, Barry Cogan's Joker if Matt ends up deciding to eventually go the acid-dipped Joker route. Um, but I think this Joker's going to have a very different look. He's going to have a huge smile. Like, it's going to be, like, massive, right? Like, it's going to be almost unorthodox big. Um, it's going to be, you know, he's going to be creepy-looking for sure. But the, the key thing that's going to be different is going to be his hair. I think he's going to have a very, very different hairstyle that we haven't seen um, on screen with the Joker yet. He's going to have the hairstyle that I thought Jared Leto's Joker should have had, but they went a completely different route with that. I was cheering internally at the end of this movie because it's the best, you know, the last, uh, the last five to ten minutes of the film is some of the best Batman scenes I've ever seen. And it displays what Batman stands for in a way that I think most audiences should understand, right? At the beginning of the movie, he's on the same level as the criminals, in a way. He's a vigilante. That's how he's referred to. He's referred to as vengeance, you know? But Batman stands for something else, too. He doesn't just stand for justice, vengeance, you know, fear. Those are all elements to his game, but he stands for a symbol of hope. You know, Superman is the ultimate symbol of hope, but you know, at the end of, at the end of, uh, the Batman, when he's pulling people out of that wreckage, that flood, and he's, he's lit that flare with the red, it's the bright red flare. Matt Reeves just put the camera on, Robert Pattinson, and just let her run. He just let her run. That's an awesome scene. You know, like Batman pulls away the rubble, and he's standing there holding that flare, and he reaches out for 
Bella Real, the mayor. Holy. You know, he looks so good in that scene. And I loved the red tones. It just added to that noir aspect. I love the red tones in this movie. It kept me engaged. And it kept my girlfriend fairly engaged. So, that's a win. You know? That's a win for me. There's only one Batman movie that's ever really kept my girlfriend engaged, and that's The Dark Knight. And then to go see this one with her... I mean, it's a different experience in the theaters, too. Like, you don't really have the option to not be engaged. But you can, like, be bored. And she said that she wasn't. So that's awesome. To watch a two-hour and 47-minute Batman movie that's like a slow-burn detective thriller, I guess, in a sense. And to have, you know, a casual... Like, she's as casual a fan as they come for that sort of movie to have her enjoy that. That was cool. That was awesome. You know, her and I talked about it for probably an hour on and off from the drive home to getting home to me still talking about it while she's trying to go to bed, you know, <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I definitely, I needed this podcast cause I was just, I'm itching. I was itching to talk about it. Number two is tons of Detective Batman content. Well, I've explained that, uh, you know, we got a ton of that. The whole movie is that, essentially, and he's brilliant. You know, Batman, he's so smart. And they made him to be very, very smart with that sort of stuff. And, you know, oftentimes he... Yeah, he... Uh, he helps the cops, <laughs> Like, he outsmarts them every time at the crime scene, in a way. Or he beats them to the punch. You know, there's many times in a scene where Pattinson's Batman's the first one there. And then the cops show up after. It says here that this is essential for me. Uh, this is essential for me this time around with the character. I appreciate a good story that follows Bruce Wayne around for half of the movie as much as anyone. But I literally need this Batman content injected into my veins. Now that's ironic because Batman injects an adrenaline shot into his veins at the end of the film. So maybe deep down it was meant to be and that I knew that was going to happen. That's how, that's how I want to feel. I want three quarters of this film to have Robert Pattinson in the Batsuit. Check. Check, I mean. Doing legitimate detective work, check. Stunts, check. Robert did so many stunts. His fighting was great. He's grappling up, you know, like he's mounted to that thing. Camera's mounted to him, and he's grappling up through that uh, police station when he's escaping from the cops. Batsuit doing legitimate detective work. Stunts. Meetups with Gordon, check. And Selena, check. Tons of that. There was actually tons of Batman and Selena. They kissed like multiple times. Like it was a full-blown romance there. I loved that. And the score for them was beautiful. It was such a romantic score. Like I could listen to that forever. Narrating his journal. Well, he did that. Oh, the movie starts so well. Oh, it starts good. You know? 
October 31st. You know? City streets are flooded. You know? <laughs> like, just gives me chills even saying it, man. Like, the dialogue is so good. The writing is so good. You know, he has that one scene where he's like, what does he say? He's like, they think I'm hiding in the shadows. And then it's like, but I am the shadows. And it like pans away. And I love that Matt chose to do the footsteps. Austin mentioned to me after the movie, it sounded like he almost had spurs. But when I watched it the second time, it's, it's just the sheer size, weight of that metallic, awesome combat boot that he's wearing. Like, they're clunky, and you can hear Batman coming in the darkness. I love the footsteps and how he just sort of slowly appears into the light. Just awesome, right? And that's, that is credit to Greg Frazier uh, from Rogue One, Star Wars, a Star Wars story, Rogue One. He did the cinematography for this, and I knew he was going to have some phenomenal shots in this, and he did. I loved every single shot in this movie. It's a beautiful movie. Um, I'm almost certain that I will have all of my expectations met here. Well, correct. You did. Future world building characters from the rogues gallery. I truly believe that Matt Reeves has the potential to use a ton of characters from Batman's infamous rogues gallery in his Bat universe. He has the extremely talented ability to use very fantastical, unrealistic plot points and characters from the comics while still grounding it for the silver screen in a way that grips us and keeps us wanting more. That, I think, is going to be very true as Winnie tunes in at the 41-minute mark. Hello, Winnie Beans. Go away. Thank you. Here we go. Rumored villain appearances slash Easter eggs. This is number four. And I'm going to read this whole thing. And then we'll, you know, compare to what actually happened. The Joker, Barry Cogan. I have no doubt in my mind Matt Reeves will do his version of the Joker at some point. I don't think you can have the definitive Batman trilogy without having Batman's number one enemy be a part of the story along the way. Reeves definitely shot an Easter egg Joker scene with Barry Cogan. Did that scene make it past the chopping block of the editing room? I'm excited to find out. Yes, so I said this in this uh, for the simple fact that before I went and saw the movie, I had heard that like Matt Reeves actually came out and said that they cut a scene with Barry um, as a version of um, an Arkham inmate. They had cut that scene. So... I don't know what exactly that was. It's interesting to think about what that was now that we saw a scene that was actually meant to be in the movie as a setup for Joker or as an Easter egg for Joker. I wonder what that scene is that was deleted. That's what I'm curious about there. Harvey Dent. And then I put here unknown because I, you know, nothing was mentioned. Nothing was rumored for Harvey Dent at this point, but D.A. Gil Coulson. Let's get into this. I believe Harvey will be referenced in some form in this film. He was not. So I was wrong there. Based on what we see in the trailers, 
Uh, Gil Colson is the current district attorney in Gotham. But we see him with the neck bomb locked onto his neck and a note from the Riddler addressed to the Batman. I believe that poor Gilly is going to be blown into absolute smithereens in this film. Therefore, opening up a nice little spot for a new DA in Gotham, Mr. Harvey Dent. Now, I was right about half of that. Harvey did not get mentioned at any point, which makes sense. You know, no need to rush something like that. Uh, but yeah, Coulson did die. You know, the neck bomb scene was very tense. I enjoyed that a lot. Um, it was a very good scene. And I thought, you know, uh, Skarsgård there, uh, I forget what he's... He's got those three brothers, so I never know. It's like Alex Alexander Skarsgård, and then the dad is like... I'm like blanking on this whole family, but he was in like Goodwill Hunting. I just watched that the other day. Um, he's like the professor that discovers Matt Damon in that movie. Um, but yeah, th those are his kids. And he, his son is one of the Skarsgårds that is in this movie playing Gil Coulson. Um, so yeah, I thought he did a great job. I th you know, he's very minor, but he was effective. He was an effective character. You know, he was a desperate guy and... Uh, that whole scene with him with the neck bomb and Batman trying to, you know, answer the riddles that the Riddler is listing. He has three riddles in two minutes, you know, and then uh, otherwise the bomb goes off and great performance from Paul Dano there uh, and throughout the entire film. Riddler was outstanding in my opinion. And he had a, like I said, he had a very different depiction with the mask on versus you know a later scene where he's in Arkham talking to Batman and you know Batman's interrogating him that's a very different scene and he's very that's a very different form of the Riddler and Edward that we had seen from the masked version of him throughout the movie so I enjoyed his performance a lot it was very very watchable and very impressive Mad Hatter unknown. This film was rumored a long time ago, way back when principal photography was underway. It was even rumored that Barry Cogan was playing the Mad Hatter at first, mostly because there was one picture of himself that he had posted on his Instagram of him standing underneath a painting of a giant hat. Silly rumor, really. It's true. I mean, that's what the rumor was basically constructed around. It was like Barry Cogan was wearing a Batman 2022 set uh, coat. And then it was like, Barry Cogan is going to be in the Batman in some form. Well, who's he playing? Oh, there's this picture of him standing underneath a picture of a giant hat in the subway. <laughs> like, it's so, so stupid. Uh, it says, the Mad Hatter is still rumored to appear in some form in this movie. Intrigued by this one for sure. Personally, I doubt it. But I will never say never. Sky is the limit here. Um... Mad Hatter didn't show up. I had a scene where I thought it was him, but I don't think it was. And it's at the funeral, and Bruce talks to some random guy for a brief moment. Like, the guy talks to him, and then it ends in the guy saying, you know, he's talking about his daughter the whole time, the whole scene, you know? And then he says, he says to Bruce, don't I know you? you know, at the end, and then, you know, Bruce is staring back at him, and I just thought that was too much of a scene for it to not be a potential rogue gallery villain in the future, 
Austin mentioned after our first viewing that he thought it might be one of Riddler's followers, like the follower that we see at the end that's unmasked after Batman, you know, aggressively beats the living shit out of him on the adrenaline shot there. That guy, that guy is different from the guy we see at the funeral. I can now confirm that after the second viewing. So was it a nod to the Mad Hatter? You know, because the Mad Hatter, that character, he talks of Alice. Alice is, Alice is his daughter, you know? Like, that's why he's, uh, that's why he is who he is. You know, he's a crazy guy. I, uh, the Mad Hatter would be a very minor character. And I don't think that, like, I'm just letting my imagination run away with me, you know? Like, I'm one of those guys who's, like, in that theater. And I'm like, okay, who could that be? Who could that be in the future, you know? Or, or like, who are we going to see here? Like, I'm always, always wondering who we're going to see. So I don't believe that that was the Mad Hatter. More people would be talking about it if it was. But still, cool to dream. Robert Pattinson. This man has reinvented himself as an actor. There's no question in my mind that Robert Pattinson will deliver a Batman performance that will be gripping, interesting, detailed, and worth a standing ovation. He will shock the world. People don't understand that he reinvented himself as an actor after the ever-so-cheesy Twilight Saga. He took his time and mastered his craft. He worked on small indie projects, spanning every genre you can imagine. There are two films that were most prominent for me that may have helped him land this role, the most sought-after role on the planet in The Caped Crusader. And then I go on to say, you know, the Safdie Brothers, good time. If you haven't seen that, go see it. It's on Netflix or it was on Netflix. The Lighthouse, if you're watching my newly filmed episodes, I'm going to be posting them on my YouTube channel that I'm going to be creating here. So keep an eye out for that. All episodes will be, like from now on, obviously, will be on that platform. That's the word I was looking for. My, my assignment for my readers, if you've made it this far, is simple. When you go for your viewing of the Batman, I want you to watch for two things in Rob's performance. Pay attention to Rob's eyes. Try and remind yourself throughout the film to watch the performance in his eyes and in his facial expressions. Rob is a very detailed actor, and if you go into the theater looking for the details, I think you're, that you're going to be very impressed with him. Remember, this man is taking on a fairly challenging role here. It's not easy to display a spectrum of emotions while acting, let alone behind a cowl. I'll say this coming from a guy who has paid attention to Rob and his career for a significant amount of time now. Prepare to feel every single emotion that guy is feeling, in or out of that suit. Mark my words, you will be impressed by this. And, uh, or sorry, I say mark my words, you will be impressed by this man. And uh, I'm just going to let the movie speak for itself. You know, if it interests you in any form, go. Follow what I just told you. Watch his eyes. Just watch his eyes. The dude doesn't blink. 
he is capturing everything. He wears these contacts that film things, which I thought was cool tech from Bruce. And he just, he's just so still and yet so calm. There are, are scenes, I talk about this one scene where Batman breaks into the crime scene and he's pulling up the rug. This is when he's really close to solving what Riddler's master plan is. And uh, he literally um, pulls up the carpet and this cop comes over to him and obviously he's startled. He's like, whoa, what are you doing here and stuff, right? Robert Pattinson in the bat suit has an entire scene with this man. And that man had probably about, you know, four or five different sets of lines throughout that scene. And Robert Pattinson acted that entire scene without saying a damn thing. It was all movements. It was all facial expressions and it was all eyes and actions. You know, he's pulling up the rug. He's grabbing things to look at. He's shining flashlights. He makes eye contact with the cop a few times when the cop's being annoying or, you know, he's, he looks almost annoyed that the cop's there. That's Batman's demeanor. He just had it down to a T. Just let me know. You know, when you go and see this movie, I want to know, were you impressed by Robert Pattinson, yes or no? And if you weren't, my feelings won't be hurt. I just was. You know, everyone's entitled to their opinion. I spoke with Randy last night, and she still loves Christian Bale the most. That's her Batman. And I love that, you know? I love that the Dark Knight trilogy is separate, is separate from this trilogy that's going to occur, hopefully a trilogy. I mean, this is going to be a lot bigger, right? Because they're going to have shows on top of that. This is the last thing, my last note here, right? I said, I said there's two things I want you to watch for. So this is the, the second thing. The difference in Rob's demeanor when he's acting as Batman, and then in brackets I have here, voice, movements, stillness, facial expressions. You know, the reason I knew that this was, this was the stuff to look for is just from the trailers and just from how Rob and Matt spoke about how they were going to depict their version of Batman. So I knew what to look for, and that's what my intentions were in saying this is, you know, Take that Batman performance that you're seeing, that you're experiencing, and compare it directly to how Rob's demeanor changes as he plays his version of Bruce Wayne. If you can try and make this comparison between his two performances while you watch, then I think you'll really enjoy yourself during this viewing. And that's really my only two notes I had for myself and for my viewer or my listener or my reader, you know, I'm going to have more consistent blog posts out. I'm going to have more, you know, YouTube videos come out. I got to say this, my camera just died. You know, I just, I, this is my first podcast that I'm doing, uh, 
with the camera on as well. So we'll see how it goes. Um, obviously the battery died. I didn't fully charge it, I guess. I thought, I thought there'd be enough juice. So I think the camera cut out at like the 54 mark or something of this episode. I know this is a longer episode, but it just had to be. This was one that I wanted to really make sure I took my time. And, you know, if you're still here, I really appreciate you, you know, sticking around. Or if you broke this one up into chunks, that's fine too. Either way, I just, you know, the Batman content is so strong that I think it's worth watching multiple times. I would love to get a group of people together who have seen the movie, who want to see it again. You know, and let's let's make a night of it. Let's make an outing, you know? Big group watch. Comic book movie guy, group watch of the Batman. Let me know your interest out there. If anyone's interested and you're in the local Edmonton, Leduc area, and you love Batman movies, or you love the Batman movie, and you want to join us for a group watch, let's do it. Let's do a comic book movie guy group watch. Let's finish this. <laughs> I say, well, future self, that's all that I've got for you. I'll see you on the other side. We made it. Yours truly, comic book movie guy, February 27th, 2022. It is now March 5th, 2022. I've seen the Batman twice. I couldn't be happier. My life is full. My heart is full. There's one final thing that I want to do to wrap up this episode today. And it's to answer the great debate. My opinion. The comic book movie guy opinion on the debate of the Batman versus the Dark Knight. Which movie is better and which movie is the definitive Batman movie? For me, this is how I've thought a lot about this over the last, over the course of the last two days. 48 hours of Batman thoughts. And I've come to this conclusion. The Dark Knight is the best Batman movie of all time. And the reason is, it tailors both to the comic book movie fan and the general audience. And the pacing, the acting, the story was all flawless. There was nothing. That's a movie that at no point does it feel dragged out and at no point does it feel like you're watching a Batman movie even. And that's why it's not my favorite Batman movie. My favorite Batman movie of all time is Matt Reeves' The Batman. This is the thing. We can have our favorite Batmans. We can have 
our favorite movies. But the facts are what we need to focus on. And for me, you know, the Batman is a narrative-driven story. And the Dark Knight is a plot-driven story, in a sense. I mean, both movies have a plot. But you know what I'm saying. The Dark Knight doesn't have one perspective. It's more, we're telling this story about Batman in a realistic world. And Heath Ledger's our Joker. You know? The Dark Knight trilogy is cool that it's called the Dark Knight trilogy because it's so different from any other version of Batman we've gotten. And even this version is, besides it being grounded, it's grossly, grossly different uh, from the Dark Knight trilogy. And that's what I love. So I have a feeling as a huge fan of uh, Batman and the comics, I'm going to be, you know, Matt Reeves' Batman trilogy is going to be my favorite Batman trilogy of all time. I just have this feeling about it. Because there were elements that I didn't like of the Dark Knight trilogy that other people did. And that's totally fair. But in my, you know, my closing opinion here is just this. And it's that the Dark Knight is the best Batman movie of all time, in my opinion, because of circumstance, because of the idea that Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy needs to occur in order for my now favorite Batman trilogy to be made, if that makes sense. If the Dark Knight trilogy doesn't exist, this doesn't exist. And I truly believe that. So thank you guys. If you made it to this point, I appreciate you so very much. Even if you listen to a little chunk of this, I appreciate you very much. I'm going to figure out the camera. If you feel like watching me instead of listening to me, it'll be on YouTube eventually. I'll let you know what that handle is and I'll add it to my link tree. I've been Comic Book Movie Guy. You guys have been great. I hope you enjoyed your viewing of the Batman and maybe you have a little love letter to yourself about what it is that you want in a Batman movie and I hope those expectations were met. I've been Comic Book Movie Guy. I'll see you guys next time. This has been a lot of fun. Take care, guys. I'm Comic Book Movie Guy. You're part of this too. How am I part of this? You'll see.